kill you. Yeah, what's wrong with the beer we got? Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode 121 of Auntie Nanny. Um, with me tonight is the gracious, vivacious, and bubbly Miss Jeannie Kay. How are you this evening, <laughs> Miss Jeannie? That always makes me giggle. Thank you, Jan. Um, You're welcome. It's, it's very muggy here. Yeah. 100% humidity. It's like living in a fishbowl. Yeah, it sucks. Yeah, it does. I, I've got to, no, it's not minus 30, so I should shut up. Uh, well, the weather is kind of wonky, that's for sure. And also with me is the best producer money can't buy, which is good because I don't actually pay him. Barry, how are you this evening, Barry? I'm good. And the weather here is the same as normal. I use this raining, <laughs> so, you know. <laughs> yeah, so it's like... Cool and drizzly. Uh, well, yeah, I'd, I'd categorise it as drizzly. Uh, people outside <laughs> of Scotland would probably class, classi- classify it as raining. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, we had we had a hellish storm about an hour before showtime, and I said <laughs> we kept losing power, and I was like, I don't know if I'm actually going to make it on the air this evening, which would be a rarity. But uh, it has happened in the past. Uh, nothing's worse than getting kicked off the air, and I've had that happen before. Just lightning just takes you out. Because you, you know, go do a show on uh, Vapor's TV. Uh, the server knocks you off all the time. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I uh, no. That that involves video, and that that is. That's mm. not true. No, no, no. That's so not true, Jan. No, I did a show over on Quest Par, and I did one. And it was it was an audio only show. There was a splash screen up the entire time. Yeah, I think lots, audio lots only are these, but you don't have to. Use. Well, audio only is is one of I think the better formats, only because <laughs> I don't know. I just feel really comfortable with it. I just really like it. Well, you have a lot of people that live in areas of the country like me, but you know, unfortunately for me, my husband is the one that programs DSL here, so but they don't have great internet mm-hmm. and. And I love Bape TV. I absolutely adore Lou. Um, he's a great guy. 
when all the networks went over to Vape TV, uh, VapeNet is there now. Quest is over there now. Um, I believe there's going to be another network that's going over there here real soon. But they all went because they have the ability to get side cams back. That's not a good thing for me. <laughs> I just like that. This does not does not improve this situation at all. Oh come on! I, yeah, yeah. The reason why it's not good for you, Genie, is the reason why I I enjoy the side cams is I I have great fun distracting hosts. <laughs> uh, he at least he admits it. Well, I'll, I'll do interesting things like taking their feed and feed it back to them on the side cams with overlays. This is why you're my producer and you're not sitting in the audience. <laughs> you know that, right? <laughs> okay. Um, so at 7 o'clock, we'll have the CASA update and we'll bring Alex in. I just figured I would let you know at the, well, I can't say the top of the show, but the middle of the top of the show. Um, and I guess I'm going to give you a, a warning, very the, uh-huh. the first story is a Stingray story. Yeah. Oh, yeah. so kick off with the music you're saying. Yeah. I think so, yeah. Okay, here we go. Cover your uh-huh. ears. <laughs> Stand by for action. We are about to launch Stingray. Anything can happen in the next half hour. This is the first time that I've ever seen anybody talk about stingrays being used in the UK, which, mm-hmm. you know, if they're used here, they're used pretty much everywhere. So here we go. This is a story from the BBC. Um, working with German security company GMSK, Cryptophone, um, Sky News claims to have uncovered direct evidence the first in the UK of at least 20 instances of the use of cell site simulators, also known as stingrays. Um, These portable stingray boxes could be used to track police suspects. The Metropolitan Police Service refused to confirm or deny it was using them. Um, All the data captured by the investigation has been put in a Google document, and it doesn't give you a link to that. By mimicking a legitimate mobile tower and tricking every phone in range to connecting to them, the boxes catch the International Mobile Subscriber Number, IMSI, that's why they're called IMSI catchers, and the ESIN, the electronic serial number of each phone, and reveal the exact location of the user. 
Uh, Met Commissioner Bernard Hogan Howe told Sky News, we're not going to talk about it because the only people who benefit are the other side, and I see no reason to give away that sort of thing. PI, Privacy International, which has been campaigning for more transparency about the use of surveillance equipment, describes the Met's stance as laughable. Advocacy officer Matthew Rice said, we can't be sure that all these are used by law enforcement agencies. They can be used by criminals and are easily bought on the Internet for about a thousand pounds. The police need to explain what they are doing to protect the public from criminals using such equipment as well as explaining how they use it. Even when used by police, IMSI catchers are very difficult to use in a targeted manner, meaning when used in urban areas, thousands of people's mobile phones would be swept up in a dragnet. What police do with that data, we don't know. With 20 IMSI catchers confirmed to be deployed across London, we need law enforcement to step up to have an honest conversation about their use so we can ensure the public is being properly protected. The BBC contacted Metropolitan Police but was told it was not something they would comment on. In the U.S., the ACLU has identified 53 agencies in 21 states that own stingrays. In some cases, police officers have withheld information about mobile tracking practices in court cases. But last month, the FBI denied preventing police forces from discussing their use as long as they did not reveal their specific capabilities. The Florida-based company that makes stingrays, Harris Corporation, is reported to have signed non-disclosure agreements with police, preventing it from discussing its surveillance products. Last month, a Washington state passed legislation that required law enforcement agencies to apply for a warrant before using such surveillance equipment. In Germany, the use of stingrays and similar devices must be reported to a parliamentary commission. So I'm guessing that's not the same across the all, all of the UK, Barry? No. Um, it's a complicated issue. Because, yes, in the UK... Um, I fully believe, yes, the police are probably using a few. Right. But it'll only be in the bigger cities. Uh, mm-hmm. Because that's where the big crime gangs are. Um, like, also, when I say big crime gangs, in the UK, some of these are very old and very well organised, and I do believe the thing where it said, you know, criminals have got them as well. Right. <laughs> yeah, because, I do too. I mean, if, if because I in London Corp- especially and other big cities, the police rely a lot on smartphones. Because instead of carrying a portable computer and all that kind of stuff, it's much easier to give the officers a smartphone. Right. And then if the criminals get hold of stingrays, they can track the police smartphones. <laughs> you, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's just funny war, how you know. the government law enforcement never think this stuff will get flipped around on them well they kind of do in the UK um, but yeah it's something that you you know is going to happen eventually oh, I, of course I, the FBI won't be thinking about it that's for damn sure <laughs> uh, they don't seem to think about anything much but yeah um, I fully believe yeah there will be criminals using the damn things as well and it won't just be in the UK well yeah it would be around the world and yeah. You know, just because the police can purchase one doesn't mean that I couldn't go to Harris Corporation and get one myself. Although, I wouldn't even begin to know money. what the hell to do with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, that might be limiting for me. But I'm saying, you know, if I can spend $1,500 and get one, not that I have that kind of money to spare, but who, who is to say a, a, a criminal 
gang doesn't have that kind of money. Yeah. You know? Of course they do. Yes. And something like that protects their interest. And to think they're not going to try to protect themselves is just plain crazy because that's well, I, money I read, to them. I read a report a while ago that um, the drug cartels in Mexico have got cell site stimulators. Simulators, sorry. Um, and one of the things they use them for is tracking their own people. <laughs> <laughs> That's got to make you feel secure. Well, they're incredible. You know, cartels are notorious for being uh, very paranoid. Um, well. So, yeah, it's hardly <laughs> surprising that they try and keep tabs on their own uh, members. Because, mm-hmm. you know, the promotion in cartels tends to be you kill your boss. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. Best to know where everyone is, I guess. Yeah. Um, so, does anybody know who Virginia Postrel is? Nope. I'm gonna. I'm gonna guess the answer is no. Um, she founded Reason Magazine. She founded the online site, which is like hugely popular now. So, this story was actually written by Virginia Postrel. Um, an interesting. Read, read this story, Jan. I, I have to make note. I was going to make note of this at the beginning of the show, and I screwed up and didn't. Okay. Um, I actually got to read through all of the show notes prior to the show. I actually got to read through them last night. And I, I have to give you this huge pat on the back, Jan, because while some of this stuff annoyed me, mm-hmm. uh, I wasn't absolutely livid. And you know that generally happens. Generally, <laughs> I am Skyping you something about something in the show notes about, oh, my, yeah. But, I yeah, know. so... Uh, the, the news is show everybody wants, so there it is. This is the news is all terrible, but I'm I'm sick of reporting on stuff that makes me want to go sucker punch my congressman. So I tried to do something different with this show. Hey, hey, just, no sucker punching. I know. I'm just, just saying. Straight in there, I've, full fists blazing. None of the sucker <laughs> punching. Yeah. Well, getting near my congress critters, you know, once you hit them, it's never going to be that easy again. You know. Depends what you hit them with. <laughs> true. Very true. So uh, what I was going to say about Virginia Postrel, um, an interesting side note about her not just founding Reason Magazine or writing for Bloomberg now, which like makes me crazy. But um, Kasa has on our board of advisors, Sally Sestrel. Um, and Virginia Postrel gave her a kidney, donated a kidney to her when she was dying from kidney disease. I just thought that was really interesting. You know, they're not related. You know, they're just kind of friends in passing, and this woman just saved her life. So I thought that was kind of cool, and I thought I would mention it. Okay. Uh, Reason Magazine subpoena stomps on free speech. Wielding subpoenas, demanding information on anonymous commenters, the government is harassing a respected journalism site that dissents from its policies. The U.S. Attorney's Office for the Southern District of New York claims these comments could constitute violent threats, even though they're clearly hyperbolic political rhetoric. This is happening in America, weirdly, to a site I founded, and one whose commenters often earned my public contempt. Los Angeles legal blogger Ken White has obtained a grand jury subpoena issued to Reason.com, the online home of the libertarian magazine I edited throughout the 1990s. 
The subpoena seeks information about commenters who posted in response to an article by the site's editor, Nick Gillespie, about the letter that Silk Road founder Ross Ulbich wrote to Catherine B. Forrest before she sentenced him to life in prison without parole. Ulbrich was convicted of seven felony charges, included conspiracy to traffic in narcotics and launder money, and faced a minimum sentence of 20 years in prison. The letter was an appeal for leniency. Gillespie, who declined to comment on the subpoena, aptly described the letter as haunting. In it, Obrich expressed the libertarian ideals he said animated his creation of Silk Road, the same ideals that reason upholds. The portion Gillespie reproduced reads, I created Silk Road because I thought the idea for the website itself had value and that bringing Silk Road into being was the right thing to do. I believed at the time that people should have the right to buy and sell whatever they wanted so long as they weren't hurting anyone else. However, I've learned since then that taking immediate actions on one's beliefs without taking the necessary time to really think them through can have disastrous consequences. Silk Road turned out to be a very naive and costly idea that I deeply regret. Silk Road was supposed to be about giving people the freedom to make their own choices to pursue their own happiness however they individually saw fit. What it turned into was, in part, a convenient way for people to satisfy their drug addictions. I do not and have never advocated the abuse of drugs. I learned from Silk Road, when you give people freedom, you don't know what they'll do with it. While I still don't think people should be the right denied the right to make this decision for themselves, I never sought to create the site that would provide another avenue for people to feed their addictions. Had I been more mature or more patient or even more worldly then, I would have done things differently. The letter depicts Silk Road as an attempt to bring libertarian ideals into their real world, a virtual version of the seasteading schemes for new countries, hopelessly naive perhaps, but certainly not evil in its intentions. Judge Forrest handed down a sentence even more draconian than prosecutors had sought and made a point of condemning Ulbrich's political views. In the world you created over time, democracy didn't exist, she said. Silk Road's birth and presence asserted that its creator was better than the laws of this country. That is deeply disturbing, terribly misguided, and very dangerous. Whatever you think of Ulbrich or Silk Road, you can see why libertarians might be upset. A federal judge has just made the belief that it's good for people to have the freedom to make their own choices, to pursue their own happiness, however they individually see fit, part of her justification for the most punitive sentence short of the death penalty. Her rationale offends libertarians on two grounds. It punishes political views, and it punishes their particular political views. The reason commenters expressed heartbreak and rage, damn, it's painful to read that letter, a life sentence for providing a platform for people to do what they do regardless, just making it easier, Lady Bertram wrote in the first response. The rightness of this worldview bumping up against his nativity and arrogance is awful. Unfortunately, such ladylike responses aren't typical of reason commenters who often sound like drunk teenage boys trying to one-up the other. They tend to forget their online pals aren't the only ones reading what they say. In his post, White described Reason as a leading libertarian website whose clever writing is eclipsed only by the blowhard stupidity of its commenting peanut gallery. Puerile, they undoubtedly are, but Reason commenters are also harmless unless you care about reasoned political discourse or the image of libertarians. In this case, they were furious, and in their fury, some of them got nasty. It's judges like these that should be taken out back and shot, wrote Agamemnon. 
Why waste ammunition? Wood chippers get the message across clearly, especially if you feed them in feet first, responded one croaker. I hope there is a special place in hell reserved for that horrible woman, commented Rowan. I would prefer a hellish place on earth be reserved for her as well. Chimed in, product placement reason has since removed the offending comments. No one in their right mind would take this hyperbolic venting seriously as threatening Judge Forrest, who back in the fall had personal information published on an underground site, along with talk of stealing her identity or calling in tips to send SWAT teams to her home. The reason commenters, by contrast, included nothing so specific. As White notes in his post, which offers a detailed legal analysis of the situation. The commenters do not specify who's going to use violence or when. They do not offer a plan other than juvenile mouth-breathing about wood chippers and revolutionary firing squats. They do not contain any indication that any of the mouthy commenters has the ability to carry out a threat. Nobody in the thread reacts to them as if they are serious. Nobody even assumes the judge will see their comments. Why should she? Venting anger about injustice is not a crime. Neither is being obnoxious on the internet. The chances of one of these commenters being convicted of threatening the judge are essentially nil. Conviction is the point. Crying threats just makes a handy pretext for harassing reason and its commenters. The real threats aren't coming from the lights of Agamemnon and Croker. They're coming from civil servants in suits. Subpoenaing Reason's website's records, wasting its staff's time, and forcing it to pay legal fees in hopes of imposing even larger legal costs, or even a plea bargain or two, on the average Joes who dared voice their dissent views in angry tones, sends an intimidating message. It's dangerous not just to create something like Silk Road, it's dangerous to defend it, and even more dangerous to attack those who would punish its creator. You may think you have a free speech. You think you have free speech, but we'll find a way to make you pay. Yeah, it's, it's, people it's will not true. be disturbed by that because they are going to look at it and they're going to say, "Oh, well, this is that that drug dealing website," and they're going to and they'll walk away from it from there, Jen. I mean, and that sadly is the reality of what, how how this is going to be allowed to stand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but. But it's definitely, it's a very targeted thing in some ways, because, <laughs> well, I'm sure we have all read uh, comments made by Crazy Vapors, and uh, there are many <laughs> yes. Crazy Vapors, on some of the, the news stories, uh, mm-hmm. yes. and suggestions of things that may happen to certain mechanics and stuff like that. Funny yeah. enough, the records of those places don't seem to be getting subpoenaed. Uh, so yes, it's... Uh, uh, it's just because there's a judge involved. <laughs> and, well, there is a judge involved, but it's it's a slippery slope kind of yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it, it's just, it's ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, freedom of speech means the freedom to say horrible things. Mm-hmm. It really does. But what is a threat? I mean, none of that. None of the comments that were written in that story seemed serious to me at all. It's like all the times I've seen vapors say, well, we should get together and get a bunch of smokers, kidnap Stan the mechanic and put him in a room full of people just smoking and see how long he lasts. I mean, I've seen things like that written. No one's going to do it. A lot worse. 
<laughs> I've seen worse too. But I'm just saying it's not it's not real. None yeah. of that's real. Yeah, it's just it's the internet. It is. And the internet is good for a couple of things. It's a good for good for saying and doing things you wouldn't normally do. And it's good for just putting stuff out there. I'm and, with and uh, the Jane Silent Bob description. The internet is for porn and for people to bitch about movies. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was for cats. But this is starting <laughs> to apply all over the place, though, Jan. I mean, how many stories do we do where a little kid gets kicked out of school from fourth grade and gets charged with terroristic threats for chewing a Pop-Tart in the shape of a gun? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm going to kill you. Um, you know what? Your typical fourth grade student doesn't actually mean that, but it's still happening. The, the average, one true the average kid that age doesn't really know what he's saying. Even no, yeah. not at all. But the one true ring, Jeannie, remember <laughs> the kid who got suspended from school? Oh, I'm gonna use this ring and make you disappear. Really? Read a little token, did you, <laughs> little boy? <laughs> it's just all of this stuff is ridiculous, and it's just to remind you where your place is. Yeah. And to make sure that you don't open your mouth. And and sadly, the problem is, you know, is you get some gangbanger somewhere, some piece of white trash going, motherfucker, I'm going to kill you. And they mean it. And then when somebody tries to stop them from doing what they said, they're like, oh, well, I didn't mean it. <laughs> yeah. There is a difference. There's There's always been a difference between what's real and what's fake. And it's kind of like the things we see public health saying. You know, none, none of that is real. When they say things like, well, people who vaped, who move over and vape exclusively, they might have quit smoking if vaping weren't around. I don't think so. That's not um, true. I mean, I, that's I, patently I not true. I think in the next yeah, six months... I was never months, planning yeah. on quitting smoking, Jan. No, me either. I, I think in the next six months, Health California will come out with, if you vape an e-cigarette, you will explode. Cause, you know, <laughs> that seems to be the trend they're on at the moment. Well, it's a smear campaign. Yeah. It's, it's the same thing we saw... Well, and I'll go do that story in a second. But it, it's the same thing that we saw happen this weekend to Edward Snowden. Yeah. When anonymous sources said, and this might have happened, and maybe that's why. Uh, no. You know what? I don't really care what you think of Edward Snowden. He actually made it possible for us to have an honest discussion about civil liberties and your civil rights and and what that looks like you know in America and around the world and we were incapable of having that discussion before someone said okay this is what the NSA is doing and let me show you this without that we lacked the capacity for a discussion that didn't sound like it was coming from you know a conspiracy website. You know, we knew we were being surveilled. We didn't know to what degree. So, um, well, what happened this weekend was really... Yeah, the, the Snowden thing at the weekend. Um, <laughs> yeah. The, the funny thing is, the news agencies are reporting on it, as you say, based on hearsay. Mm-hmm. 
because even if they got shown proof, they can't show the proof because then they'd get prosecuted by the government. For, I know. <laughs> because, you know, the information wasn't supposed to be able to de be decoded. It's like, uh-huh. It's just yeah. these one groups going, oh, yeah, it can be decoded. Well, obviously, <laughs> yes. Anything that's coded can be decoded. It's just mm -hmm. a question of how easy it is to do. Right. Oh, yeah. I mean, encryption can be broken. It yeah. just depends on how many man hours. Um, well, not man hours. I guess they'd be computer hours now because that's, that's the best thing to decrypt anything. Well, weird, weird, weirdly, there's still a lot of human involvement in decryption. Yeah. Uh, huh. uh, computers lack creative spark for the most part. Ah. Uh, humans okay, well, are very good at spotting patterns that computers can't. That's true. That's very true. So, anyway, I said I was going to talk a little bit about it. Um, I'm going to read this story from, I think this was, for, yeah, looking at the pattern this makes. This was from The Guardian. <laughs> That's really sad. I can tell just by the coloring and the pattern of the words where stories come from now. At least the ones I read. Um, the title is Let Me Be Clear, Edward Snowden is a Hero. And I'm not even going to try to pronounce this person's last name. Um, very, if you'd like to try, I would love to hear it. Just let me know where you are in the... Uh... Can you say? Uh, I just highlighted it. It's way down. Oh, right, yes. Shami Chakrabarti. Okay. There you go. Well, there. Indian. Yeah. Yes. The government, claiming Snowden has blood on his hands, is using scare tactics to shut down the debate. It's a technique Liberty has felt the full force of. This is a person who works for a... for Liberty kind of organization. Who needs the movies when real life is full of such spectacular coincidences? On Thursday, David Anderson, the government's reviewer of terrorism legislation, condemned snooping laws as undemocratic, unnecessary, and in the long run intolerable, and called for a comprehensive new law incorporating judicial warrants, something for which my organization, Liberty, and there's a link to that, um, has campaigned for for many years. This thoughtful intervention brought new hope to us and others for the rebuilding of the public trust in surveillance conducted with respect for privacy, democracy, and the law. And it was only possible thanks to Edward Snowden. Rumblings from number 10 immediately betrayed they were less than happy with many of Anderson's recommendations, particularly his call for judicial oversight. And three days later, the empire strikes back. An exclusive story in the Sunday Times saying that MI6 is believed to have pulled out spies because Russia and China decoded Snowden's files. The NSA whistleblower is now a man with blood on his hands, according to one anonymous senior home office official. Low on facts, high on assertions, this flimsy but impeccably timed story gives us a clear idea of where the government spin will go in the coming weeks. It uses scare tactics to steer the debate away from Anderson's considered recommendations and starts setting the stage for the Home Secretary's new investigatory powers bill. 
In his report, Anderson clearly states no operational case has yet been made for the Snoopers charter. So it is easy to see why the government isn't keen on people paying too close attention to it. But then, when it comes to responding to criticism, the approach of the conservative leadership has been the same for some time. Shut down all the debate by branding Snowden, or anyone else who dares question the security agencies, as an enemy of the state and an apologist for terror. It's a technique we at Liberty have felt the full force of. In March, the discredited and now largely retired Intelligence and Security Committee produced a report into the legal framework covering surveillance. This was the same toothless committee that failed to spot the dodgy dossier, exposed extraordinary rendition, or pick up on the sheer scale of blanket intrusion outside of the law, which Snowden did a great public service in revealing. Instead of properly scrutinizing the agency's activities, the ISC lashed out against campaigners shamelessly misrepresenting us as considering terrorism as a price worth paying for our fairy airy fairy values. Valid concerns of campaigners and parliamentarians were buried under a mound of toxic spin. The hyperbole that followed yesterday's story was astonishing. Professor Anthony Glees reportedly branded Snowden a villain of the first order. Darth Vader, eat your heart out. So let me be completely clear. Edward Snowden is a hero. Saying so does not make me an apologist for terror. It makes me a firm believer in democracy and the rule of law. Whether you are with or against liberty in the debate about proportionate surveillance, Anderson must be right to say that people and our representatives should know about capabilities and practices built and conducted in our name. For years, U.S. and U.K. governments broke the law. For years, they hid the sheer scale of their spying practices, not just from the British public, but from Parliament. Without Snowden and the legal challenges by Liberty and other campaigners that followed, we wouldn't have a clue about what they were up to. A debate about surveillance powers in the Internet age is not best advanced by that all-pervading slogan, nothing to hide, nothing to fear. We cannot have a risk-free society, and it's too much to expect of the agencies or the law to deliver it. But surely we can have an open and balanced discussion about how we adapt to new threats while safeguarding the intimacy and dignity rightly craved by human beings. Yes. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, we've got a topper of a government now, haven't we, in the UK? Oh, we've got the same government we've always had. We just notice it now, I think. Yeah. More. It's It's... The news is more in your face. You're able to see it. Um, you don't have to watch it on TV. You can just out and out see it. You know how things are going. Um, well, the, be- the best the best meme I've seen today, but I can't come. I can't find it. It's <laughs> on Facebook. Was uh, David Cameron gave a wonderful speech about Magna Carta. <sighs> David picture, Cameron shouldn't yeah. be even and, and, and at the same time, of course, the they're trying to. Cop out of the Human Rights Act. That man should not even be mentioning the Magna Carta. I mean, that that created a safe place for the beginnings of, at the very least, democracy. Yeah, modern democracy. Yeah. Yeah. And he's 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 praising this wonderful thing at the same time the Conservatives, as I say, trying to get themselves out of the Human Rights Act. Well. What they're trying to do is roll everything back to a time when we had feudal lords. And they're doing that everywhere. Mm -hmm. 
this is... And there's stuff to do with Snowden that plays to that as well. It's like, no, no, we should, we should have the right to do whatever we want because we're in charge. Yeah. Yeah. It's and I but it, don't believe for a second they've been pulling out agents because of Snowden's leak. No, it's just something shit, to really, say. The truly deep agents would not be mentioned in the sort of communications Snowden leaked. Unless the Americans are even more incompetent than already everybody thinks they are. I think um, that might be possible. I, I think the contractors might be a little better well, than... It, it's also the funny thing. Yeah, they go on about, oh, it could endanger our agents abroad. What, you mean the ones that <laughs> the Russians already know you've got? <laughs> Yeah, because yeah, we. Well, it was a laugh that in the U.S. the other recently those those deep cover Russian agents who got caught, and it turns mm-hmm. out they'd been watched for years. <laughs> the same shit's happening now in Russia and various other places where people have spies. Because yeah. yeah, the local governments are not stupid. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know there there are there are ways. Um, where you. There are certain behavior patterns that people have who, you know, know they're being watched out of necessity and, and they have tells. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, that's just the way it is, unfortunately. And if you've got people trained to notice those things, they're going to be able to pick that out, yeah. especially in a society where everyone is watched on video cameras pretty much 24-7. Yeah. There is no protecting yourself or protecting your privacy anymore you are you are part of the internet of things now pretty much okay so i said i'd talk about the opm breach okay the stories from wired there's actually a lot from wired wired had some really good stories this week um why the opm breach is such a security and privacy debacle I'm, I'm assuming everybody knows what the OPM breach is. And if not, you'll be able to gather it in a second. <laughs> um, you guys know what the OPM breach is? Yes, ma'am. Okay. If it's not already a maxim, it should be. Every big hack discovered will eventually prove to be more serious than first believed. That's holding to be especially true with the recently disclosed hack of the Federal Office of Personnel Management, the government's human resources division. At first, the government said the breach exposed the personal information of approximately 4 million people, information such as social security numbers, birth dates, and addresses of current and former federal workers. Wrong. It turns out the hackers, who are believed to be from China, also access the so-called SF-86 forms, documents used for conducting background checks for worker security clearances. The forms can contain a wealth of sensitive data, not only about workers seeking security clearance, but also about their friends, spouses, and other family members. They can also include potentially sensitive information about the applicant's interaction with foreign nationals, information that could be used against the nationals in their own country. Okay, and this is where it gets interesting. What's more, in initial media stories about the breach, the Department of Homeland Security had touted the government's Einstein detection program, suggesting it was responsible for uncovering the hack. Nope, also wrong. Although reports are conflicting about how the OPM discovered the breach, it 
took investigators four months to uncover it, which means the Einstein system failed. According to a statement from the OPM, the breach was found after administrators made upgrades to unspecified systems. But the Wall Street Journal reported today that the breach was actually discovered during a sales demonstration by a security company named SciTech Services, showing the OPM its forensics product. There are also some questions about the number of people affected by the breach. Bloomberg and the Associated Press report the figure may be closer to 14 million, affecting not only current and fe- current and federal employees, but also military intelligence and government contractor staff going back to the 1980s. Others are disrupt is are disputing that fact or that information. Well, Of course, yeah. As more information comes out about the kinds of information the hackers accessed, the repercussions could be much graver than anyone thought. The potential for blackmail. In its statements about the breach, including a phone recording played for any federal worker seeking more information, the OPM has emphasized that it's offering victims of the breach credit monitoring a protection usually offered for financial breaches. It's only confirmed that basic personal information was stolen, such as names, social security numbers, date and place of birth, and current and former addresses. But the fact that data accessed by the intruders may be far broader. The 127-page SF-86 forms... 127-page forms? God, the government's (laughs) insane. Believed to have been accessed by the hackers also include financial information, detailed employment histories with reasons for past terminations included, as well as criminal history, psychological records, and information about past drug use. Federal background checks, after all, are meant to suss out information that might be used by foreign enemies to blackmail a government staffer into turning over classified information. And that stolen information could be used for exactly that extortion purpose, says Chris Ang, a former NSA staffer and now VP of research at the security firm Veracode. If the breached background check information goes beyond the SF-86 form, it could even include detailed personal profiles obtained through polygraph tests in which employees are asked to confess law-breaking and sexual history. Jesus Christ. I'm so happy I don't work for the government. They write it all down and it goes into your file. If OPM had any of that stuff, it could be super damaging. You'd know exactly who to go after, who to blackmail, Ng says. It could be very damaging from a counterintelligence and national security point. There's another concern even beyond that blackmail risk. SF-86 forms can include a list of foreign contacts with whom a worker has come in contact. Diplomats and other workers with access to classified information are required, depending on their job, to provide a list of these contacts. There is a concern that if the Chinese government got hold of lists containing the names of Chinese nationals who had been in touch with U.S. government workers, they could be used to blackmail or punish them if they had been secretive about the contacts. Security Features and Angry Victims The OPM had no IT security staff until 2013, and it showed The agency was harshly criticized for its lack of security in an Inspector General's report released last November that cited its lack of encryption and the agency's failure to track its equipment. Investigators found that the OPM failed to maintain an inventory list of all its servers and databases and didn't even know all the systems that were connected to its networks. The agency also failed to use multi-factor authentication for workers accessing systems remotely from home or the road. 
The millions of victims of the OPM breach are already expressing their anger over the massive data spill. J. David Cox, the president of the Union of Federal Government Employees, has written a strongly worded letter to OPM director Kathleen Artecula, lambasting the security mismanagement that led to the breach and the agency's response to it. I understand the OPM is embarrassed by this breach, Cox writes. It represents an abysmal failure on the part of the agency to guard data that has been entrusted to it by the federal workforce. Cox's letter points out points to what appears to be a lack of encryption protecting the breach personal data, a cybersecurity failure that is absolutely indefensible and outrageous. And he also criticizes the OPM's offer of credit monitoring as a response to the breach as entirely inadequate, either as compensation or protection from harm. An OPM spokesperson declined to comment on the record and instead pointed to a fact on the agency's website. The page says that the agency continually is continually working to identify and mitigate threats when they occur after four months. OPM evaluates its IT security protocols on a continuous basis to make sure that sensitive data is protected to the greatest extent possible for months. It declines to offer details of which systems were breached, citing ongoing investigation of the hack by law enforcement. The fact does admit, however, that the OPM still isn't certain if it discovered the full extent of the intrusion. It is important to note this is an ongoing investigation that could reveal additional exposure, the statement reads. If that occurs, the OPM will conduct additional notifications as necessary. For millions of federal workers already reeling from the growing breach in their personal privacy, those words are hardly comforting. Okay, so... uh we we had the Snowden story and then we had this. Yes. Just as a question, who at the OPM is going to jail for this? Because yeah, they want to jail Snowden for leaking information. <laughs> yeah. And the people in charge of the OPM have let information be. Stolen. You know, that's what'll end up very. That's exactly what's going to happen. Is they're going to come out and they're going to say Snowden leaked this information, yeah. and had he not leaked this information, they wouldn't have gotten hacked about their non-existent security. If hackers want to get in somewhere, they get in somewhere. I mean, they they always will. All you can do is make it harder. You know what I mean? Back, and back and the, try back to in the 80s, some German students hacked NORAD. Right. I mean, NORAD. I understand <laughs> what you're saying, but looking at the OPM, I don't think NORAD had adequate security either. Yeah. No, nowhere <laughs> really does. Um, right, but uh, encryption security is gets, like security gets put in place, in the and world then people ignore it. Teenage boys, yeah. oh, right? But encryption is like a basic. Yeah. That's like the one thing we know. That's the one thing. I'm like, Jeannie, you got to get these apps on your phone, and she's like, I'm not going to do it. And I'm like, God damn it, you're killing me. No, uh, encryption I is say, basic. I said I would get the kid to put it on. <laughs> Did he? <laughs> yes, actually. Good for you. Get the kid to put it on my phone. That's um, good. But at least you know, your stuff I mean, is scrum. The thing is, is no matter how much we step up mm-hmm. security, the criminals right. are just figuring it out, Jen. It's, it's, it's what they do. Right. So, I mean, and the reality is anything that is hooked to the Internet, mm-hmm. if a hacker wants in it bad enough, they're going to get in it. And well, the yeah, federal I mean, government a, a prime depends example. on the Internet to communicate. They always have. I mean, they invented this fucking thing. 
well, a prime example of how security CERN did, goes. But that's okay. Um, a prime example of how security goes. <laughs> In the run-up to the Xbox 360 being released, mm-hmm. some idiot at Microsoft made the statement, this system is really hard to crack, nobody will be able to hack it. Yeah, <laughs> 24 hours, less than 24 hours, after the lease of Xbox 360, there was a guy in Korea had uh, Linux running on an Xbox 360. Well, I mean... When you you say to somebody, we've got this really tough security, you attract the hackers. Yeah. (laughs) Well, we, we apparently believe in that, Barry. We believe in it so much that we don't even encrypt our shit. Yeah. (laughs) So... You know, I, I just think it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Yeah, but what, what I'm, the, the thing that annoys me is the double standards. They're, they're, they quite happily want to uh, grab Snowden and throw him in a deep, dark hole forever. But then government agencies get up to this stupidity, and nobody there is... They're probably at most getting a slap on the wrist. Well, I think it's because there pension. actually is nobody there anymore. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I, I When I say this, I, I'm not saying that federal employees are stupid. I think there really is no more federal employees doing the work federal employees have always done. I think it's contracted out. I think the government has been hollowed out and, and made a straw man, for lack yeah. of a better term. So... You know, people who would face the music are, are no longer there if everything's going out to third party contractors or what have you. And they get funded to do stuff and they do a certain amount and then the funding runs out, they're done. Yeah. And it doesn't matter whether it was upgrading OPM security or whatever. Once the funding runs out, they're, see ya. Well, they're in not. The, yeah, they're in not the employed. UK, uh, a lot of criticism gets leveled at our government for the massive expenditure it has on keeping certain stuff in-house. Mm-hmm. Like, the MI6 do not contract anything out. Mm-hmm. And and that's why they don't contract anything out. Because right. they're not stupid. They want to keep mm-hmm. it all in-house, because then they can control the flow of information. <laughs> well, I mean, that's just intelligent. I mean, that yeah. that's just the, the way you should be doing things, right? Yeah. So... Um, if you want to keep just, a secret, it's got to be in a closed system. It's as simple as that. Well, I I think I even said after we talked about the hack of Angela Merkel, mm. and we did. Yeah. I remember saying, I think if you want your shit to be secure, you've got to use your phone just as a phone, and you've got to go and rely on like old fashioned meeting people face to face, speaking to them, talking to them, writing letters. Which, although we know my federal government takes and photographs every piece of mail that goes, you know, snail mail that goes through the system and keeps records of it, that's still going to be probably slightly more secure than anything you put over the internet. And how scary is that, that you have to go back to... where they lose your mail. (laughs) (laughs) And it comes back in these nice little plastic envelopes that say, we care, with everything shredded on the inside. (laughs) I mean, Jan, I feel like a broken record calling places saying, you know, I noticed the check hasn't cleared the bank for my electric bill. Did you get that? (laughs) (laughs) 
And and they're like, well, no, we didn't. And I'm like, well, I'm sorry. I did mail it out on time. I will send you out another check today. I feel like a fucking ass. I'm sure these, you know, the gas company, the electric company, all these people are sitting there going, you know, that broke ass bitch just didn't mail it. (laughs) (laughs) That's one thing, actually, that makes me kind of laugh in this modern age. Do you know you're one of the few countries that still uses checks? And most people do bank transfers. Yeah. I I've even and I don't I don't keep a lot in the bank and we've talked about um why. <laughs> why you shouldn't keep a lot of money in the bank. Um I do that. I don't I'll, yeah, I never keep a lot of money in the bank. You you should never. Yeah. You really you, you it's shouldn't. Quite easy I mean for me I don't have a lot of money, so Well, <laughs> yeah, but I mean you you should always keep some some cash money on you. Okay, always, because we're hitting, financially we're hitting the point in an 8.6 year cycle. And the last time this happened, it was uh, the internet bubble that burst. The time before that, it was the housing bubble and, and, and the banking and, and the... Apparently, yes, we, one thing we need to keep an eye on at the minute is subprime car lending. Yeah, well, I... Well, I think we're getting to the point where now um, when you look at the dramatic losses being suffered by all these businesses, what's becoming really apparent is that the money kept in banks with the zero interest rates, that's not going to work. My country, I think, is going to have to raise them. And when they do that, that's going to be disastrous for the rest of the planet. And once that happens... It's going to be exactly what happened in 1931. People are going to start calling in notes from all over the place, and there won't be enough physical cash to cover it. And then, boom, what happens then? I think you're looking at some point in October for some really weird activity. I think the Dow is going to go really high. I mean, higher than it's ever been. And then after that, you're going to start seeing some weird stuff. Yes, I like money. I'm sorry. Back back to the story of... And this, yeah, and just the the data breach story. They're they're blaming the Chinese. Yeah, uh-huh. the 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 next financial crisis is going to have the Chinese heavily involved. Of course, it is because they've been buying up everybody's debt. Debt, exactly. <laughs> you know, and oh, them and the Belgians. You, yeah. Mm-hmm. And when you look at it, I mean, China's been working with other countries to set up another sort of global currency. Mm -hmm. China and Russia and a few other countries. And they're already buying oil without using the American dollar. So stuff's going to get kind of wonky and hairy, I think. For at least a little while. But, you know, the government can't actually But I I do like that every data breach is now the fault of China. Well, it's the fault of China. It's the fault of Snowden. Snowden. Oh, I know what it is. Snowden must really be Chinese. Probably, you could be onto something there. Yeah, yeah I think so. I think it's. I think it's a good theory. Had some surgery. Yeah. Changed his <laughs> Just, eyes, and you know. Changed his eyes, dyed his hair. Yeah. <laughs> he looks Chinese. He looks like an undercover Chinese person. I'm kidding. Um. So it's almost seven. All right. Uh, so it is. Yes. Yeah, I know. Same See what flies. happens when, like, no one's getting frustrated and going. <sighs> I shall see if I can uh, find Alex then. Yeah. Okay. 
Oh, Skype's playing silly buggers. <laughs> uh, yeah. No. It's not letting me add somebody to the call. Um, let me. Yeah, well, I've just Skype done. Okay, hang on. Let me see if I can add somebody to the call. Yeah, it's just um, not letting me. It's not. It's bringing up an empty list for me when I add somebody to try and add somebody to the call. That is so ah, fantastic. Right. I figured it out. You know. Right. Here we go. Oh no! It's... There we go. Okay. I see him. Well, I see his photo. Yeah. Hi, Alex. Hello. Um, okay. Good evening and welcome to the CASA update for the week of 6-15-2015. Hi, Alex. How are you this evening? Good. good. How are you? I'm, I'm really good. So I'm just going to let you go. You, you okay. go and do your thing. Okay. So uh, <clears throat> things on fire requiring immediate attention first. Um, uh, Washington, D.C. meets tomorrow. Well, the city council meets, not the entire city. Um, <laughs> uh, the city council is meeting tomorrow to uh, for the final consideration of the district's budget um, and the 75 or 70% wholesale tax on vapor products is still in there. Um, and uh, as we pointed this out in our call to action, but bears repeating, um, this tax is tied to the cigarette tax. There's no distinction between cigarette tax and vapor product tax. So this means that in the future, when the city council decides to jack up the cigarette tax, uh, this automatically will include a hike on vapor products. Um, so yeah, not only is taxing vapor products unacceptable, but directly tying them to a cigarette tax is uh, just super harmful. And we haven't seen anything like this language-wise in any other state or city. Um, usually the vapor tax is something separate, even if they're trying to achieve tax parity uh, okay. The two the two taxes will raise at different different rates, um, so maybe this could just be an oversight and somebody crafting the language, or they just are particularly vindictive towards vapors. I don't know, <laughs> um, but uh, this is uh, it is absolutely crucial that people get in contact with Chairman Phil Mendelson. Um, not a lot of time between now and the start of this meeting, but I'm sure that there's an answering machine somewhere. We also have provided his email address, and of course you can just click on our call to action. There's a bright green highlighted bit of text that says send an email, and um, that will shoot an email to the chairman. Um, yeah, not a lot of, we don't have a lot of members in DC, so I'm not holding my breath. Uh, I, I sincerely hope that people from other organizations have um, managed to have some face time with members of the council and uh, can talk some sense into them. Um, but uh, for what it's worth, Washington, D.C., uh, 
get moving. Um, and uh, the other, uh, let's see, I do have a bunch of local alert stuff. I'm not going to do the, well, maybe we'll, maybe we'll do the list because there's a bunch of city council hearings tomorrow. Um, the one that I did manage to get a call to action out for today is Iowa City, Iowa. Um, uh, indoor vaping ban actually would include some outdoor places. Um, this is sort of, they're basically using the state's indoor smoke-free air law um, as the, the referencing that in, in this prohibition. Um, and I know that it, it sounds like a couple of people in Iowa City have said, well, I'm a vapor shop, so I'm automatically exempt. Um, this is not the case, actually. Um, the indoor smoke-free air law, as it's written, provides an exemption for tobacco retailers. Uh, okay. And tobacco retailers are specifically defined in that law. Um, that does not include vapor retail shops. Um, it would be a very similar situation to New Jersey. Um, New Jersey had an exemption for cigar bars, uh, cigar lounges, what have you. Um, but a vapor shop is not a cigar lounge by definition. So the, they weren't exempt when they started popping up. Um, so this is, that's kind of, that's the situation you're facing in, in Iowa City. Um, so uh, I believe I sent that out to maybe a dozen or so people today. Um, so hopefully other people listening will have an opportunity to send an email or even show up at the city council hearing tomorrow. I believe that's at seven o'clock. Okay. <sighs> um, <laughs> so that's the stuff that's on fire. Um, and, and then of course I, I do have a whole slew of, of local alerts here. Um, Waco, Texas. Uh, I haven't put this together yet, but um, I believe Waco, Texas is looking at a citywide indoor um, vaping ban. Um, and they even talk about the CDC yeah. in their little preamble here. This is good for them. Um, so Waco, Texas, you've got a city council hearing tomorrow. It's a first reading at 6 p.m. Central Time. Um, I'll try to get something out for this tonight. Uh, so that you know, first reading is, is rarely ever adoption. So um, at, at, the, at the least, you'll have some more time to, to communicate with your city lawmakers. Um, and then three cities in California, no surprise there. Uh, Taft, California, what are they looking at? Um, this is, uh, I believe, uh, some, I see conditional use permit for vapor lounges. Um, this might not be that big of a deal. Um, we'll look into that. Um, so that was Taft, California. Um, Avalon, California. Well, I feel like we've talked about Avalon before. Um, yeah. It sounds like this might be one of those like new communities you know, like, anybody ever watch Weeds? You ever guys watch Weeds? <laughs> this sounds like one of those communities that was built in the, like, 10 years ago, and all the trees are still young, and whatever. I don't know. I don't know anything about Avalon. So, 
Um, uh, looks like an indoor use barren as well. Um, and Woodland, California. Um, I shouldn't even read this. It's just, this is probably an indoor use ban. Um, and, oh, uh, that's in Yolo County. You only live once, <laughs> County. <laughs> for what that's worth. Um, you only live once and you should live forever, County. Um, so uh, there's there's that, three cities in California. Uh, and Cherokee County, Georgia, I think this might only apply to um, county... No? Uh, parks and recreation. Parks so this and would be, yeah. you know, this is an outdoor thing. Um, so anyway, just to rattle those off, uh, we, I might have time to get those out. I might not. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to make sure that I got that out there. So we had that in the notes for the podcast. Um, so on to old business. Um, last week, uh, before we delved into Kansas and Louisiana, um, Delaware met, uh, the Senate actually voted on HB five, which is the state's indoor adding electronic cigarettes to the state's indoor, uh, smoke free air law. And, uh, they, they passed, they passed the Senate. Um, I believe it came from the house amended. Um, so that, whole thing passed the Senate. So now it goes on it's, it, to enrollment, which I believe means it's going to the governor's desk. Um, so uh, this is an indoor vaping ban uh, with an exemption for vapor retailers. Um, so I uh, was sort of working this out in my head as to how to say this. Um, <clears throat> one thing that will contribute to us you know, obviously we have an opportunity to uh, contact the governor and ask him to ask he or she to veto this bill, um, which is an opportunity we're not going to pass up. Um, but, you know, if it comes to the point where this is signed into law, this is something that we will end unfavorably. Um, you know, amending an indoor vaping ban to allow for vapor shops to allow vaping in their establishment is that that shouldn't be we shouldn't even be talking about that that should be an automatic vapor shop should allow people to vape in their stores um so what we are really talking about what we are always talking about is prohibiting the use of these products in every other indoor space Mm um you know obviously you know, we can go down the, the path of, you know, the, the it's, it's individual business owners should have the right to make choice, make policy in their own establishment, especially for something like this, because this is not, you know, we're not looking at some massive public health emergency here. People aren't dropping dead from the vapors. It's just, this is not emergency status. So, um, I, I do realize that a lot of people will probably look at this and say, well, you know, we got our exemption for our vape shops. Um, that's not a plus. That's, that should be a given from the, from the start. Um, so uh, it's not even really a token victory. Um, and um, like I said, we'll probably put something out to appeal to the governor's senses on this one. 
<sighs> so that's Delaware HB5. Um, the next bit of uh, bad news comes from Kansas. Um, I, it's, I assume that some people were probably following. Uh, I know a lot of the, the, the kind of vocal advocate type people uh, on Facebook were, were following the budget hearings uh, through last week, um, which was quite dramatic. Um, anybody that has been following the Kansas budget drama knows that uh, they went into uh, extra innings and uh, were staying late. They, in, they invoked the midnight rule in Kansas, which states that you can't do law after midnight and you have to go home. Um, so, uh, they did that at least once. Um, so Kansas passed a budget bill that had a tax on e-cigarettes slid in there at the last minute, um, <clears throat> which is 20 cents per milliliter, uh, of consumable e-liquid. Um, and this is, this goes into effect. Uh, but it goes into effect July 1st of 2016, which is a full legislative session away. So even though this was signed into law, Kansas vapors have an opportunity between now and when this law goes into effect to reach out to your lawmakers and urge them to change this tax. Um, I, I, I but I would assume that a, a separate law will have to be introduced and babysat and make its way through the legislature next year. Uh, hopefully a lot more efficiently than this budget bill did. Um, and, and that tax can be uh, removed. Um, so uh, there at Kansas vapors advocacy, Kansas vaping advocacy uh, on Facebook was very good about um, Kansas vapors association on Facebook was very good about um, providing updates and uh, just, I mean, play-by-play -play type coverage of this. Um, so I, I, I hope that, uh, I hope they're back uh, throughout the year and, and of course next year during the legislative session to keep us all mm -hmm. in the loop and uh, keep us focused. Um, so Kansas, that's that. Um, Louisiana, briefly, uh, as far as I know, HB 119 passed. Um, this is that, you know, nickel per milliliter tax. Um, and uh, this, there was some hope that this would be um, vetoed by the governor. Um, but there was kind of a deal that you know, there were tax increases on certain things, right. but there was something called the SAVE Act, SAVE in all capital letters, that provides for uh, refunds for certain other areas, organizations, institutions, whatever, um, that makes any of these tax hikes kind of tax neutral. So... Governor Jindal still gets to say that he didn't raise taxes. He gets to adhere to the uh, Americans for Tax Reform zero tax pledge. Um, but we still have a brand new tax on 
vapor products. Um, so, you know, the <laughs> there there really is no bright side to this. I'll just but you know, on 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 one side, it's it's a nickel per milliliter. So, right. yeah, we're not talking about people having to shutter their businesses, um, but everybody really does need to keep in, in mind that this opens up the door to mm -hmm. a rate increase year after year. Anytime Louisiana is going to be looking for money, um, and if you've driven through the state of Louisiana, you know they're probably going to be looking for money. Mm -hmm. um, now they've got it in the code, and it will be difficult to, uh, to oppose that. The, their governor <clears throat> is uh, a unique individual. Mm-hmm. So that's the doom and gloom. Did I have anything nice to say? <laughs> um, it's five cents per milliliter. That was yeah. that was nice. Um, yeah, uh, that's the small consolation prize. <clears throat> um, so, uh, so yeah. Now on to current business. <laughs> um, the uh, Utah Smoke Free Association has put together a uh, call to action, and we have also put together a call to action. Um, the Revenue and Taxation Interim Committee will be meeting this week on Wednesday, um, mm -hmm. and they will be discussing uh, taxes on electronic cigarettes. Um, I don't actually know how these interim committees work. I assume that since it's outside of the regular legislative session, they're not actually going to be enacting any policies, um, but they may very well be uh, voting on stuff to advance in the next legislative session. Um, I, I'm not exactly clear on what their role is, but that kind of makes sense to me. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, Utah Vapors should absolutely take this opportunity and contact the members of the committee um, we have our uh, call to action set up so that we can uh, send an email and it goes to everybody on the committee. Um, and one in, important point to make uh, for all of these calls to action, really, uh, and I, I kind of forget where, I think it was actually Louisiana. Um, <clears throat> one of the things that lawmakers are very interested in is people's personal success stories. Um, I know that we have, may have sort of become a bit jaded with hearing, you know, oh, you're just a bunch of anecdotes and, um, you know, obviously the restrictions on, uh, retailers and manufacturers regarding health claims that you, you cannot market these as a cessation product. Um, but at the end of the day, a bunch of voters letting their lawmakers know that these products help you quit smoking uh, mm -hmm. is actually a very good thing. And I, I think it does have an impact. So um, again, anytime that you participate in our call to action, please include your personal story. It can be as short as three sentences. Um, yeah. And, but it is very, we can't write that for you. We provide all of the talking points and some of the science and some of the, you know, the very practical stuff that 
that the lawmakers need to read, but um, mm -hmm. your story is very, very important. So yeah. um, please edit what we've written. <clears throat> and that's Utah. Yeah. <sighs> it, it feels discouraging, but it really shouldn't. Um, they would not be hitting us this hard if we weren't hurting them. You know what I mean? If if us switching to vapor products was not hurting the state so much, the states would not be coming after us like this right now. Yeah. I want, I, I, I desperately want to look at this another way um, because that puts us on sort of a, uh, an adversarial footing. Uh, what I would, what I think I, I choose to tell myself so I, I can get to sleep at night is that um, the states just don't understand. Uh, they are looking at the short-term losses in terms of tax revenue and are not able to see the long-term gain of having people live longer and cost the state less in medical care, be able to contribute more to society, more grandparents teaching their grandchildren about this, that, and the other thing. Um, you know, all of the wonderful things that come from people being able to stick around. And of course, all of the wonderful things that come around from people being able to be happy. Um, so I, I, yeah, <laughs> for what it's I, worth. <laughs> no, no, I, I think you have, um, you have a good view. Um, I just, um, I just look at things a little different. That's all. Yeah, no, it uh, it takes it takes both sides of this coin. So, mm -hmm. uh, and I, I I also do tend to agree. <laughs> well, I, I I really do think um, there is something to be said, and we've we've talked a little bit before about um, something like this ends the state as we know it, but not in the way people think I mean it um, it's going to force the lawmakers to be a little more fiscally responsible and not spend like drunken sailors with money they don't have and that's that's how adults behave now that's not necessarily a bad thing no. so I it, it, it's a I think right now is what I would call a transitional time yeah We'll we'll find our equilibrium. That's all. There's nothing wrong. I mean, yeah, there's something wrong, but there's nothing wrong with that transitional state. You have to get through it, and and that's what we're doing now. Is trying to get through to the other side. So, um, it's not as bad as you think it is. Yeah. Because a lot of a lot of places, little places that you wouldn't expect have had overwhelming crowds show up and the legislators have gone, Oh crap, we can't do this. We're learning, I think as, as a group to, to take our role back in, in democracy. So that's, that's also a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. Agreed. <laughs> Um, I, I should I should 
possibly end on um, some rosier news. Um, I don't have an official update from Pennsylvania yet, right. but um, over the weekend, I guess we put this out on Thursday. Um, so uh, House Bill 682 um, would add electronic cigarettes to the state's indoor smoking law. Um, <clears throat> and uh, before I even put this out, actually almost immediately after I put this out, right. uh, got some, uh, some feedback from some people saying that uh, <clears throat> this bill likely just doesn't have a whole lot of uh, chance to survive. Um, so I <clears throat> will be curious to hear of, uh, from updates from, uh, I know that Greg Conley was uh, testifying. Bill Godshaw was testifying. I think uh, Chris Hughes went down there as well. Um, so uh, we had some it's the, some heavy hitters show up in Pennsylvania today at the uh, committee hearing. And uh, in all likelihood, uh, that bill's not going to go anywhere. So that's a bit of a bright spot. That's always, always a good thing. And it's always reassuring to hear when, when there is a win. Yeah, and I haven't gotten any emails from Bill this afternoon with any kind of an update either. Well, like I've said, I, you know, I think, I think Bill is, is a, a force of nature. <laughs> so, um, and I think the the legislators who have dealt with Bill, um, know that they will continue to be dealing with Bill for probably as long as he lives. So, um, I think they don't want those relationships to be adversarial if they can help it. I'm just saying that's, that's the impression I get. Yeah. So, you know, always a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, uh, HR 2058, that's still active. Yes. We still have a, uh, ongoing call to action for that. Um, I haven't received any any further updates this week about that. Um, it was kind of exciting at the beginning. We were seeing <clears throat> uh, the addition of co-sponsors on the bill. Um, yeah. But uh, yes, please uh, take advantage of our call to action and mm -hmm. uh, encourage your U.S. Congress people to co-sponsor HR twenty fifty eight. Yeah. And, uh, um, I, I'm kind of biting my tongue here. I, I did sort of just chat you that thing about uh, that other thing earlier on. Uh, at some point this year, these podcasts are going to be more than legislative doom and gloom. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. So uh, I, we're kind of coming up on the end here. I don't know if you wanted to bring that up or not. but uh, um, Yeah, I think... Um they're going to be more substantive. Um, they're going to probably focus a little less on the legislative side of things. And we're going to probably talk about things that are probably a whole lot more interesting to vapors than this, because I know, I know every time I open an, an email and see that, um, something's gone kerfluky or I, I read a new story. I'm like, Oh, isn't it, isn't it over yet? Well, we, we are getting to that point. Um, 
someone in my chat here says that they saw on Facebook that the tax in Ohio was removed from the bill. So I'm asking them for a link. Um, if well, it uh, that was I believe HB 64, um, <clears throat> which the uh, the tax was removed while it was in the House. Um, then and the there Senate was this. There was a we kind of went into the the changeover um, with this. It was very unlikely that it was going to be put back in. And then that kind of changed to, oh, no, actually people are supportive of this, of this being put back in. Um, okay. So uh, if that's the case, that it did not make it back in, um, that's good news. Yeah. Well, um, so I um, I asked for a, a permalink so that I can dig, <laughs> which is what I do really well. Um and I will look at that later and, and if this needs to be changed, we'll, um, we'll change that, I think. Um, the note I received today from Ohio Senator Bob Parsons, paper tax was taken out of Ohio HB 64. Uh, yeah. Now, um, I will look at that. So, um, yeah, loading this up. Actually, it's a huge bill. So um, loading yeah. that up in uh, Legiscan is quite difficult. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no. I know. Um, well, but, I was uh, going to load it up in, in Sunshine um, site later. So, yeah. So we'll both be having fun picking through that later. It's a few thousand pages long. Yeah, no. We we like reading this stuff. We do. So um, if there's cause to edit that or change that, we will do that in the show notes because we won't be able to do it in the show because I don't care how quick a reader I am. I'm not going to be able to get through a few thousand pages very quickly. Yeah. So it'll be later. Um, But... Yeah, the uh, HR twenty fifty eight. Please follow the call to action. Ask your legislators to co-sponsor your Congress critters to co-sponsor because it's important that we get more co-sponsors as time goes on. Um, I want to thank you for everything you've done, Alex. I'll give you a hand later when I can. Um, and I want to. Tell everyone, please join CASA and help us help you stop these bills from affecting your life um, and your wallet, possibly. Uh, so join us at CASA.org. Uh, please sign up and join us. And um, you can also join us on our CASA pages. We have the We Are CASA group page. We have the CASA Facebook page. We're CASA org on oh, we're CASA media Twitter, Instagram Instagram, YouTube
John, your microphone stopped working again. Oh, no. Oh, it's back. Okay. Can you still hear me? Yes, but it's uh, okay. cutting in and out again. <sighs> yeah, well, gaffer tape only sticks so well to uh, a grid. And my computer is gridded. For airflow. Yeah. So, I'm holding that. <laughs> so, hopefully, it'll stay. Can still hear me? Yes. Okay. Um, uh, thank you again, Alex. Have a great night. Likewise. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. See ya. Good night. <sighs> I'm going to have fun later. Thousand <laughs> pages of Ohio law to read because nothing's more fun than reading legislative. Nothing. Okay. Um, I thought this story was really interesting. It's from Sputnik. Wi-Fi can be used to count people even if they don't have electronic devices. So you do with this information what you will. Researchers have discovered that Wi-Fi is not only useful for accessing the Internet. The signal can also be used to determine the number of people in a given space, even if they're not carrying a Wi-Fi-enabled device. Researchers from the University of California, Santa Barbara, say they can count people based on the received power measurements of a Wi-Fi signal. To count the number of people, they put two Wi-Fi cards at opposite ends of a 70-square-foot area, and as people cross the card's line of sight, the force of the signal is reduced. Bodies also cause signal to scatter, a phenomenon called multipath fading, when they are not directly in the path of the signal. Our approach can estimate the number of people walking in an area based on only the power received measurements of a Wi-Fi link, Yasmin Mustafi, professor of electrical and computer engineering, told physics.org. Though a, through a Markov chain modeling, chain modeling, we've characterized the probability that any number of people can cross the LOS. Furthermore, we have utilized the well-known K distribution... I don't know what any of this stuff is, but I trust them, um, that they can count us, to characterize the scattering impact of one person. After some deviations, we finally derive an expression for the probability density function of the received power function of the number of people present. During the experiment, the receiver Wi-Fi card records power measurements for a small period of time from which we can get the experimental PDF. By using KL divergence as a metric, we can then estimate the number of people by comparing the experimental PDF to our derived theoretical one, the study's website explains. Using those two phenomena, researchers have developed the mathematical framework for estimating the number of people walking in a given space. The researchers hope their work will be useful for many applications, such as adjusting air conditioning and heating, counting the number of shoppers in stores, and even in search and rescue situations. As of now, the maximum number of people the scientists have counted using their method is nine, but they hope to expand the model for larger scale situations. The research lab has also been working on a project that allows robots to see through solid walls using Wi-Fi. Doesn't that sound terrifying? The technology not only allows robots to identify whether there are objects on the other side of the wall, but also has the potential to determine if the material object is made of human, metal, or wood. And the two researchers hope to bring their projects together one day. 
<laughs> yeah, this, yeah, the science behind that is basically, yes, we're currently, you're wandering around through waves of energy. Okay. And when you walk through them, you're, you disrupt the energy slightly. Well, objects of different densities. We our own energy yeah. signatures ourselves. So, yes. you know, mm -hmm. it's just the organization of said energy that. Yeah. Right. So, you know, at this point, how much privacy are you going to have in your home? Well, you don't have any anyway, so. Well, I know, but we <laughs> still have some vague illusion of it, I think. Yeah. But, you know. Now even that. Don't my house because my husband has to have every curtain in the entire house wide open. I said, you know, if I wanted neighbors <laughs> knowing exactly what I was doing, I'd be walking around in my yard, in my t-shirt, my underwear, not my house. <laughs> get a house made out of uh, hardened glass. See, solves all the problems. Yeah, glass. <laughs> that, if you've that's... ever seen Thirteen Ghosts, it doesn't go well usually. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well. <laughs> oh, yeah. <that> <laughs> No, it didn't. God, I haven't thought about that movie in ages. I don't know. I, I think I liked the original better than the remake. Yeah. It was a better film. Matthew Lillard is quite good in the remake. Right, but I'm just saying I think the original was just, I don't know. It, it just seemed less... What's the word I'm looking for here? Dory? Yeah. Y you know, you guys say actor names like I'm going to know who the fuck they are. Matthew Lillard's the guy who played Shaggy in the Scooby-Doo film. Okay. Oh, see? There. If you just said the guy that played Shaggy, I would have known who you're talking about. Paul and I watched some stupid-ass movie on Netflix last night, and he's like, who is that woman? Who is that woman? I'm like, um... Oh, yeah, the wife from Bicentennial Man. Yeah. And he's like, yes, you're right. Portia, Portia, whatever, whatever. I'm like, Portia. yeah, whatever. Robin Williams' wife. Yeah. <laughs> this is the thing that cracks me up, right? My memory is documented by neurologists as screwed up. But yet I can still remember films, actors' names. And, uh, just nothing else, really. Uh, <laughs> I know, see? Yeah. And then you start talking about these adult cartoons, and I'm like, fucking lost. <laughs> <laughs> well... You know, I think I've only ever, well, I probably never mentioned Aqua Teen Hunger Force, which is, like, the dumbest show I've ever seen. But if I'm going to, like, do the, and, and let me let me show you what I'm talking about, in a, and I will show you in a second. But if I'm going to do the sit there and look stupefied thing, I, I'm going to do it with something that really does make me feel, um... kind of like brain dead and aqua teen hunger force does that and here's what i mean about watching tv making me feel brain dead oh yeah i've seen that yes yeah well i'm sure you have i don't think a lot of other people have but um what i just put up in chat was something from donna stevens.com she's from australia and she did a I guess she did an experimental photographic series that showed children as they watch TV. I will point okay. out you will see the same look on adults' faces when they're using their mobile phones. 
you know, I use my phone as a phone. And if yeah. I got something to say to somebody and I can't talk to them, I, I very I will text, but I don't use my phone as a computer. Not when yeah. I'm working. I'm sure I look like a slack jawed idiot yeah, staring I'm, I'm at the computer. Ul- ultimate stupid adult cartoon. Invader Zim. <laughs> Bad things happen when I watch TV. It, it, it really does. Um, you know, I mean, my version of reality TV is watching um, America's Got Talent and The Voice. Right. Because reality TV tends to piss me off. Uh, we well, we stayed home. Real, well, so. it does. Hmm. All it to me, reality TV for the most part. You know, you take survivors and all of that crap, and all it does is teach generations to come that whoever lies the most is the shittiest, lowest form of a human makes out the best. And and that really bothers me. Um, we were we were home from camp this weekend because, of course, the humidity was 100%, which meant it rained every 10 fucking minutes. And so I watched this stupid ass show. It's called uh, The Briefcase. Have you heard about that one, Jan? No. Yeah, it's The Briefcase. So they go to these people and tell them, you know, they ask them to take part in this survey about money and budgeting and things like that, right? So then they take, and they take a briefcase with $101,000 to these Mm -hmm. people. And they give this briefcase to people and they say, look, you can either keep all of it, some of it, or none of it. Mm-hmm. And then over the course of 72 hours, they tell them about this other family that is in as much of need as they are, maybe even more so. Right. Well, they do this to two families. They give mm-hmm. them each this briefcase, not knowing, don't ever tell them that what they decide to give is going to go to the other one. Okay. So they don't know that they've each got a briefcase. All they know is they've got this briefcase, right? So, and here I'm sitting, thinking immediately, you know, that it's going to go to someone who is in as much in need as me or maybe even more. So that automatically means 50%, right? Right. You'd give half of it away, wouldn't you? Mm -hmm. I would. Right? So at the end of this, this Bible-thumping, gun-toting, Republican family in Texas, and I knew when they started into all of this, and I'm watching, I'm like, you know what, as soon as they find out this other family is interracial and gay, shit's going to change. Well, guess what? By the end, Paul, I was so fucking pissed. I'm like, you fucking narrow-minded, fucking shitty-ass human strip. (laughs) And Paul's like, fuck this TV show. Paul got up and we're out in the garage. (laughs) Paul was up, and I'm like, this is what happens when I watch TV. This Mm -hmm. is why I hate reality television. All this stuff does, all TV does, is is prove over and over and over again that if you're a piece of fucking shit, you're going to be fine. The, the UK has produced possibly the lowest reality TV show yet. This uh, show's going to get only, an explicit I only, warning. I only watched a little bit of it. Sorry, Jan. It's okay. But, uh, yes, they actually had a game show. I survived a zombie apocalypse. Did they have... What did they do? Get the cast of 28 Days Later to go around and bite people? Basically, yeah. <laughs> There's a, an abandoned retail park in outside Edinburgh, as it happens. 
Scotland. Mm-hmm. Right. So they dumped the contestants there. Oh, there's this zombie apocalypse going on. And basically got them to survive. And they had loads of actors as zombies chasing them around the place. And yeah, this was yeah this this was a reality game show, the BBC no less showed. Do you think this is why we believe everything the people on the news tell us is because we have been just dumbed down to death mm-hmm. by the shit that they put on TV? Well, uh, it was produced by the same company. You'll be unsurprised that came up with Big Brother. You know, I've never seen that show. Yeah, but, don't bother. And I don't ever plan on ever. <laughs> watching it but you know i thought oh here's a show and they're going to give these people and these people are going to help other people yeah fuck no what, what annoys I, me it was going to be a feel-good thing and by the end of this episode i was just i was just livid and i was just what annoys me about reality shows now is is most of them are scripted and just lie about the fact no no we don't script anything well but you know mm. and i seriously wonder if this isn't why society has slid to the point that we're at you know what i mean i mean jan you and advocacy how long have you guys been trying to get people to be active and to do something not only for themselves but something that is going to benefit all of these people out there that are still current smokers and have this option available for them i really don't think for the most part that most people give a shit and see i tried to fix it um, I've already explicit rating this show, so I might as well try to not curb my potty mouth at this point, right? Um, but do you, do you think that that's why? Do you, th- you know, I mean, family values have become a non-existent thing, so why should they care about people they don't know? Do you think that's part of the battle with advocacy? If Jan's talking, her microphone stopped. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I can't hear anything. Oh no, she's uh, her. She's dropped out the call. I don't know. Oh no, we lost Jan. Oh okay. no, I hope her weather didn't go to shit. See if she'd come back on. No, we've lost the host. <laughs> yeah, because if we lose Jan, you know, other than talking about this smart gun story, I don't know what the hell to do. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I'll read the I'll read the Senate bill on the retrofit while we're trying to get Jan back, um, because I think maybe she had a power issue. Yeah, it's um, Jane Caulfield. And where is this from? I don't know where this is from, but it was by Eric Schneiner. Schneiner. Or good enough. Uh, Senate bill must retrofit handgun with smart gun tech before sale. Larry, Larry Aon is having a stroke as I say these words. Sorry, Larry. I'm just as disturbed. Democratic Senator Ed Markey, a Democrat from Massachusetts, and Elizabeth Warren, <laughs> a Democrat from Massachusetts. Imagine that. This is coming out of Massachusetts. Have put forth a bill that could drastically impact gun sales in America. Last week, Markey and Warren introduced the Handgun Trigger Safety Act. It would mandate that in 10 years, anyone selling a handgun must retrofit within personalization technology before the sale can be completed. It would also ban the manufacture in the United States of a handgun that is not a personalized handgun within five years of the measure being enacted. 
Smart gun technology allows a handgun to only be operated by an authorized user. It generally works through finger or palm print recognition, electronic password, or coded lock, or a gun that needs to be in proximity to a specific watch or bracelet in order to operate. Currently, smart gun technology is pricey. The Emrix IP1 is the first smart handgun to be sold in the U.S. with a reported price of $1,800. In a press release, Markey says the measure would also authorize grants to develop and improve personalized handgun technology to increase efficacy and to decrease costs. It would also provide reimbursement to manufacturers for costs of retrofitting handguns through the Department of Justice Assets Forfeiture Fund. Well, isn't that fucking handy? I do like the bit. Increased efficacy. Yes. They want more efficient handguns. Yeah. Huh? I think they're pretty efficient as they are. Yeah. yeah, I think it would also provide reimbursement to manufacturers for the cost of retrofitting the handguns through the Department of Justice's Asset Forfeiture Fund. Yep. Really? Your, ta- your taxes at work. Yeah. <laughs> you bastards. Oh, Jan appears to be back on Skype. Let's see if I can get her back in the call. Yeah, but yes, some of these gun ideas are just insane. <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure they're just beating Sandy Hook right to death. Ow, hi, Jan. Hi. Hello, welcome back. Uh, I don't know what happened, but Skype shut down and forced me to sign in. So while you were sleeping, no, really, while you were missing, <laughs> while you were missing, I read the uh, smart gun story. I thought you would. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have none I, of these people ever ever watched like science fiction and, and particular science fiction comedy, where you know. Oh, it's got biometrics on the gun. Okay, I'll steal the guy's hand. Uh, <laughs> as well as his gun. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, see, you're expecting brightness from legislators. Legislators are basically lawyers. They All don't live to, in if, the same world we the do. If person you know? has used the gun in the last 24 hours, all you need to get the biometrics to work is sellotape. Mm-hmm. You cover the handle on sellotape, you'll have a copy of the person's handprint, then you hold the gun and the gun thinks... I mean, God, have these people not... Don't know, they don't know anything. Really. You've got a bunch of people that are too stupid to know what they're doing, yeah. making laws. Well, right, but we've, the part. we vote for them. Yeah. <laughs> these are the choices we're given, idiot one or idiot two. You know, yeah. so... I guess it's our fault in a way. Not so much, but kind of. Um, I did want to do the download story, and I I did save the one on the 3D printing for you. <laughs> if you wanted to read it. Because that's that's going to affect... God, that's going to affect a lot of stuff. And I've noticed a lot of people have been ducking out of the internet since they started with that one. Um, you know which one I'm talking about, yeah. right? Yes, ma'am. Okay. 
um, I'm just trying to get down to the Download Festival one, which is, it's not a long story. I'm sorry about this interruption. I've never had Skype do to me what it just did. So that was, uh, it's interesting. Comes to everyone eventually. Yeah. So the police are scanning the faces of every single first person at Download Festival's 2015. Uh, for most of us, festivals are a way to escape our invisible prisons of technology. I'm not taking my iPhone to Glasgow, you mutter to your pal. I'm going off the grid. Who can blame you? For just a few days, you want to enjoy yourself in a priceless, disconnected moment of gamers-fueled euphoria. Up until very recently, you could be granted that small civil liberty. But this weekend at Download, new technology is being trialed by Leicester police that could change the way you carry yourself at major events. This weekend's Download Festival, we will be subjected to strategic facial recognition technology by the Leicester police, making those 100,000-plus attendees the first music fans ever to be monitored to this extent at a UK music festival, according to UK police news and information website Police Oracle. Globally, it's not the first time festival attendees have been heavily surveilled at a music festival, usually without their prior knowledge. After the Boston Marathon bombing of April 2013, the subsequent Boston Calling Festival was subject to heavy but discreet forms of facial recognition surveillance. But you can partially excuse Boston police forces for such invasive policing so soon after a bombing. It's something you really can't say for Leicester police this weekend at Donington Park. The announcement article on Police Oracle reads, The strategically placed cameras will scan the faces at Download Festival site in Donington before comparing it with a database of custody images from across Europe. So basically, your day, your drunk mug, is just getting casually cross-examined with every criminal on the continent as you party. It's an unusual measure which doesn't feel justified by the main aim stated in the Police Oracle article, which also included an interview with Leicester's DC Kevin Warner, which is to catch people who steal mobile phones. According to the Register, who covered this story extensively, Police Oracle's publication of the interview has caused significant upset for management at Leicester Police, who did not want advanced publicity of their new surveillance project. The public would have been informed that it had been placed under surveillance after the event ended, presumably as part of a you-didn't-know-therefore-it-wasn't-intrusive justification for the scheme. So apparently the download festival goers are finding out about this before they arrive on site. It is apparently already disappointing the police. Moreover, it would be impossible for the police to argue this kind of technology was a preventative measure if they weren't planning to tell anyone about it beforehand. Instead, it just seems to betray a determination to nail post-crime prosecution at festivals rather than pre-crime prevention. I called Renee Sampson from Big Brother Watch, a campaigning body which aims to expose the true scale of surveillance in the UK. Their briefings are regularly cited in Parliament and government reports. It's one thing to pay good money and think you're going to enjoy yourself at a festival, she explains, then to unknowingly find your face is being scanned using biometric technology and compared with a database of people in custody across Europe takes the edge off the fun. Mind you, Leicester has a reputation for surveillance. Between 2009 and 2011, they had some of the highest amounts of CCTV in the UK. 
Some will just see this as a means to an end. After all, you're only going to get rounded up by facial recognition if you are indeed in the custody database. So only the bad guys should lose. However, what happens to all those thousands of hours of collected data afterwards should be of just as much concern to innocent festival goers. As Luke O'Neill wrote for Noisy, after the aforementioned Boston calling, you don't have to be overly paranoid to suspect, as we've seen with the NSA revelations uncovered by Edward Snowden, that once data is collected, it isn't often deleted. As stated in the same article, American journalist Kenneth, Kenneth Lipp was able to uncover 70 hours of surveillance footage from the Boston calling that was still sitting online a year later. Just three weeks ago, Outbreak Festival, which was set to take place in the same location as Download and had no facial recognition software planned for on-site, was mysteriously canceled at the last minute, despite the entire festival being set up, alluding to the improvement of safety concerns raised by Leicester Police. Whether Download Festival had much option in becoming the testing ground for this new technology or not is unknown. According to the police or Oracle article previously cited, the other festival organizers have expressed widespread disinterest in technology pending a successful trial. DC Kevin Walker told the Oracle, it is one of the first times it has been trailed outside. Normally it's done in a contained environment. There's also been a lot of interest from other festivals and they are saying, if it works, can we borrow it? Yeah. Very... And now you know why the sale of V for Vendetta masks is so popular in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you watch any of the UK demonstrations, there are usually dozens of people with those masks. Well, and this is why know. we have more cameras and more high-tech surveillance than anywhere else on the planet. Right. Well, I Leicestershire, mean... it's Leicestershire Police, yeah, they... Yeah. <laughs> They have a toy. They want to play with it. They want to play with it, and they're going to get the people at Download Festival whether they like it or not. Yes. Well, there are ways to counteract this particular technology. I think we've well, talked about it yeah, before. Yeah, but so, how yeah. many people at Download Festival do you think are going to go to the extremes of using Dazzle? <laughs> I'm yeah. just saying oh. that's some pretty that's some pretty radical looking makeup An and another hair. comment for the non-UK people the reference at the start disconnected moments of ga gamers filled euphoria <laughs> gamers is a brand of cider just in case mm. there's any confusion yeah. ah well popular at festivals cider because <laughs> it's usually summer warm cider's right. refreshing yeah. Gets you drunk. Uh, cider over here, I don't know about the stuff you get over there, but cider <laughs> over here is lethal. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm having a hard time rectifying, maybe not rectifying, um, I'm having a hard time putting together that the police want it to be illegal to film them, mm -hmm. but it's okay for them to film us. I mean, I don't care which way this goes, as long as it is good for the goose, good for the gander. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I think that you that's... I mean? Yeah, and I, I think that's kind of the beauty of the internet. Or at least it's one of the beautiful things about the internet is that we might not be able to hide from you but you can't hide your secrets from us either. They're there. 
I mean, and that's what I'm saying. I mean, I don't care. I do care, but my main thing would be in all of this that the same rule applied to everybody. You know, if you're going to say that we have no expectation of privacy in a public place, well, guess what? Then neither do you. Right. You know, don't well, go yeah, take this, a video camera out of people's yeah. hands when you're arresting somebody. This um, is one of the beauties of the UK. Um, the police over here also complained about public filming them. And there were test cases because, as I say, the UK, the police on the street are being filmed by the CCTV systems just like everybody else. And they uh-huh. had cases where the police wanted footage removed and stuff like that. And the judges basically told them, tough luck. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> well, hell, I mean... Because, yeah, over here, most of the CCTVs are in the control of private companies. So, yeah. Huh? They film the police, too. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody gets filmed. Well, uh, in the UK, it is unusual that most of the CCTV cameras... Um, are run basically by one company, you know, the, huh. the majority of them. Um company I worked for briefly, not in the camera-related activities, um, but, yeah. But they provide CCTV systems for cities and towns. Huh. And so they're independent, basically. And, yeah, it's mainly the police that access them, but, yeah. It's a private company, so the police... If the police want the records, they have to have the paperwork saying they can get them. <laughs> well, I mean, that's, I guess that's kind of and, a good thing. Yeah, and judges have made sure it stayed that way. Oh. So the police can't go and destroy any incriminating film. <laughs> that's unusual. Yeah, it's great fun. <laughs> There's been some cases in the UK where police have had some really embarrassing uh, stuff <laughs> come up. Well, I mean, there was a case here just last week in California where there was a marijuana distribution center that was operating in oh, California without yeah. a license. Okay. Is this um, the one with the so, woman in the wheelchair? Uh-huh. Is this the one with the woman in the wheelchair? Yes. Mm-hmm. And they, the cops disabled what they thought were all the CCTVs. Yeah, it was hilarious. They weren't. They ate all the edibles. They they threatened to abuse this poor woman. I mean, it, it was some really appalling behavior, and yeah. it was all captured on film. Well, it's I the mean, fact that they destroyed all the dummy cameras and missed all the real ones. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it it will come back and bite you in the butt. And as much of a fan of privacy as I am you know if you're going to do it to us I, I agree with Jeannie we should have the right to do it to you too yeah so um Jeannie do uh, yeah, you want to read video, the as you say was kind of horrifying but funny yes. at the same time and, and Jen I, did, I didn't mean to make you cringe when I said I didn't care which way it went mm-hmm. I, I, I I care too but I think until we actually run out of money to conduct these programs on a governmental scale. This is just how it's going to be. Do you know what I mean? Well, I like I like black and white. Gray areas tend to tend to annoy me. Um, and they, I, I guess if they were really small gray areas, they wouldn't annoy me. But they're mm-hmm. they're really huge gray areas and really tiny black and white areas. Yeah. Um, so and that and that bothers me. So, 
Um, as long as the rule applies to, to, to both sides, mm-hmm. okay, fine. You know, um, yeah. it's better than two totally separate rules is, all, is what I meant. Well, um, right, and I, I know what you mean. Yeah. I, I, I do understand what you're saying. I, it's, it's, but I've always said, you know, it makes it hard for us to hide. Not that we have anything to hide, but just, you know, there, there's a reason why people buy blackout curtains and a reason why people shut their doors. I mean, if you want to dance around like Tom Cruise in your kitchen from Risky Business, it's really not your neighbor's business. And I, I really don't think it's the NSA's business either. But, you know, if they're going to do the same thing, they should have the same reasonable expectation of privacy that we do. I prefer the Tom Cruise dancing from Tropic Thunder, <laughs> but that's a different matter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. I mean, it was just the first stupid thing that came to mind. Because everybody does stupid, stupid stuff. I mean, you know, I'm sure there were young girls that grabbed their hairbrush and pretended they were Madonna or whatever, I guess, in the 80s. You know, if you want to do that, that's your business. It's you Madonna. Wanna... I'm sure there are young boys that grabbed hairbrushes. And... That's a different... <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. I mean, yep. and that's that's just it. Uh, I don't know. So I, uh, I did see um, Bernie Sanders on Face the Nation this weekend. It was impressive. And then I got to see Lindsey Graham on Face the Nation this weekend. And I I never realized it, but that man can put you to sleep. (laughs) And I watch C-SPAN for fun. So, yeah. Um, I don't know. I can't believe he's running for president, too. Lindsey Graham. Oh, God. I'm sorry. (laughs) I got off topic there for a minute. Sorry. Oopsie. Hey, I'm usually the queen of Ushiny here, so we're yeah. we're good. <laughs> I I was trying to tell Basil Ray something, and the Thursday night when he was on with me, and I Ushinied myself like four different times, and had to tag him in a post on Facebook the next day <laughs> to finish telling him <laughs> what I was started trying to tell him on a show on Thursday. So yeah, it was funny. <laughs> so I can completely relate, Jen. Yeah. Okay, here's the story that you know, is apt to, I don't know, it's either going to make you go, ha good luck with that, or it's going to piss you off. The feds tighten restrictions on 3D printed gun files online. The notion of a 3D printable gun has become the perfect flashpoint in a new conflict between digital arms control and free speech. Should Americans be allowed to say and share whatever they want online, even if that speech is a blueprint for a gun? The State Department has now answered that question with a resounding no. In the last few days, the State Department has issued two new statements confirming its intention to act as a gatekeeper for when Americans legally <clears throat> for when Americans can legally publish online data that could allow someone to digitally fabricate a gun. Those statements outline how it plans to restrict those publications as a controlled foreign export of munitions. Earlier this week, the State Department sent a letter to the controversial gun access group Defense Distributed, confirming that it will require the group to get specific permission from the government before publishing its 3D printable gun files online. That warning comes with more than two years after the State Department sent Defense Distributed 
an initial letter telling telling it to take its gun files off its website pending a decision about their legality. And in a separate filing to the Federal Register last week, the State Department also wrote that it intends to require prior approval for the online publication of any technical data that, vaguely defined, would allow for the creation of weapons and even broader swath of its files. The agency statement warns that publishing those weapons files to the Internet with its global connections could amount to violating the International Trade in Arms Regulations, the ITAR, by exporting controlled weapons data to a foreign country, hardly different by its definition from sending missiles Hardly different by its definitions from sending missile schematics to Iran. Uh Okay. Uh, Anarchy cookbook, anyone? Uh, Before posting information to the Internet, you should determine whether the information is technical data. You should review the United States munitions list. And if there is a doubt about whether the information is technical data, you may request a commodity jurisdiction determination from the department, reads the State Department filing. (laughs) This is freaking hysterical. Posting technical data to the Internet without a department or other authorization is a violation of the ITAR, even absent specific knowledge that a foreign national will read the technical data. The State Department renewed the State Department's renewed attempt to control the spread of gun files online comes just as the conflict between the control of digital weapons exports and free speech is coming to a head. A month ago, the defense distributed sued the State Department on First Amendment grounds, arguing that its right to free speech is being violated by the State Department's demand for prior approval of its printable gun file uploads. Just because information can be used for some bad purpose does not make it illegal to publish it, says Matthew Goldstein, an export control lawyer representing Defense Distributed. This is just a firearms case, even though it deals... Oh, sorry, I screwed up. This isn't just a firearms case, even though it deals with firearms. It's really a free speech case. I completely agree. But Defense Distributed's lawsuit also includes the argument that the group's Second Amendment rights, its access to firearms, were trampled by the State Department's export control restriction. Cody Wilson, the group's founder, we have done several stories about him, argues that the State Department's new declaration of its control over online gun files only makes that violation clearer. It is a land grab, Wilson says, with its instituted set powers you have a first and second amendment in name only i agree with that too a state department spokesman who was authorized to speak to wired only on background said that the notice in the federal register wasn't intended to target specifically 3d printed guns and that its timing with distance with Defense Distributed's lawsuit was an unfortunate coincidence. Cough, cough, bullshit. (laughs) He pointed out that the filing isn't yet final and that it remains open to public review and comment until August. So, hey, everybody, it's open till August. 
He also argued that the restrictions wouldn't limit the publication of discussion or illustrations of guns, only technical data for fabricating arms. Let's be clear, general descriptions, public discussion, and imagery of defense articles, including firearms, have never been subject to these regulations and will remain unaffected under the proposed revisions, he wrote in a follow-up email. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Do you want me to finish reading the rest of this? No. Because <laughs> it's just more of the same shit. It, it really is. It's ridiculous. I, I, You said as soon as we talked about ghost guns that we would be talking about Cody again. And yeah. and here we are. Here we are. Well, what makes me laugh is, yeah, they're on about, oh, well, we're not really targeting, uh, you know, images. You're like, really? Because that's all 3D printing really is. You, you can go on the internet and you can yeah. go into many, many, many bookstores. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go to the website Brownells. <laughs> Well, but very. I mean, they have exploded the, the diagrams Bible every is sold gun. in the newsstand yeah. at fucking Walmart. Yeah, and all it takes for somebody to three D print a gun is a picture of the parts. Then you can produce a three D model quite quickly, and then you can print the parts. So yeah, trying to ban yeah. it a bit fucking late, guys. Um, well, they <laughs> should have tried happen. to ban it. I mean, if they were going to. Yeah. Which, you know, our government's full of lawyers, it's so they don't it's know just what the it's, fuck. Yeah, again, it, it's the same as e-cigarettes. It's a new technology, and they want to clamp down on it. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, anyone who knows anything technical about guns can make one if they want to. Well, and doing this solely because it takes away some of this iron fist of control that they feel that they must have over a country of people that are supposed to be fucking free well actually i'm gonna gonna sorry about your explicit rating jan that's okay i'm gonna pop the chart to brownells i I don't know (laughs) if you're familiar with it (laughs) uh yeah well if you want to know how to build a gun excellent site to go and have a look at well i mean it's all just pictures Mm -hmm. i mean and let's be honest of course i think Jeannie and i are familiar with it with our backgrounds (laughs) yes So, uh, for people who are not, it really is an excellent resource. Oh, yeah. You, uh, you really will, you really will find it useful if you're at all interested in that. If I want to make a gun, I don't even need to look at sites like that. Uh Guns are not difficult to make. They're very simple. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's not as hard as they're making it seem, and no. it, it, this is just uh, it's just ridiculous. We ban things based on fear of what people will do with them, which is why they're trying to put a backdoor ban in on e-cigarettes. Children might use them, yeah. So you're going to legislate out of fear. How does that help any of us? Oh, yeah, on on that, did you hear? You're bound to have heard about the uh, the stuff that came out last week about whales mm-hmm. and the proposed ban, and it's kind of backfiring badly for them. Good. Well, it should backfire badly for them. There is no reason to. That was just ridiculous. Well, it's the fact that all, even all the health charities mm-hmm. are like, "This is a stupid idea." Um, <laughs> 
the yeah, only that the only support the only support the Welsh government's got is research from the WHO. Well, we know how well that goes. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Some American research. Sorry, it's your research because they can't use any of the European stuff because all the stuff over here is pro. Right. Um, and the BMA. Now I've ranted about them on Facebook last week. Yeah. The British Medical Association does sound like a medical association, doesn't it? Sounds official. It's a union. <laughs> it's the union for doctors in the UK. And it's Logic. the one guaranteed to say something negative about e-cigarettes because the actual people who are the medical controls in the UK, the Royal College of Physicians, mm-hmm. are pro-e-cigarette. So the media always go to this union to ask them questions. Mm-hmm. My point being, if there was talk about an increase in rail fares in the UK, I don't see the media rushing to the RMT union, asking <sighs> them about it, who are the guys who are the union for the rail workers. Yeah. It's the same sort of thing. But when it comes to something medical, no, apparently it's fine. Yeah, It's just... Ridiculous. So yeah. this is lovely. Uh, I really wish I hadn't opened Facebook. Um, so they're finding this rare flesh-eating bacteria in the water here in Florida. Uh, when you're moving? Uh, dude, I, I, I think I mentioned last week where I am. It's kind of like the the coffin it's kind of like the bowl of death unless you have a boat there's no way in or out of here if something bad happens and now (laughs) they're saying there's flesh-eating bacteria in the water that was the way out (laughs) (laughs) so i don't know we'll see probably soon (laughs) i don't know all this stuff is just Ridiculous! All the stuff in the news is ridiculous and stupid. The government wants to legislate out of fear. You've got a college student who's pissed off because these graphic novels were included in oh, this, her... That story is just fucking pathetic. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm going to read this to you, and then I'm going to get to the part where I think this is her, her actual reason for this stuff. College student wants four graphic... Can you still hear me? Yes, ma'am. Okay. College student wants four graphic novels eradicated from the system. A 20-year-old college student in Yukonipa, California, is protesting the inclusion of four landmark graphic novels in an English class she took during a recently finished spring 2015 semester at Cratton Hills College. According to the Redlands Daily Facts newspaper, Tara Schultz and her parents objected to Personopolis, Fun Home, Why the Last Man, Volume 1, and The Sandman, Volume 2, The Doll's House as Pornography and Garbage. Schultz, who is working towards an associate of the arts in English at the Public Community College, signed up for English 250 fiction because it fulfills one part of the degree requirements. She was apparently aware that the specific focus of the class was graphic novels, but she told the newspaper that I expected Batman and Robin, not pornography. I'm really offended by that. I liked the Sandman ones. Schultz says that the associate professor, Ryan Bartlett, who has taught the course for three terms without any other complaints, 
failed to adequately warn students about the book's content. Her father, Greg Schultz, said that if they'd put a disclaimer on this, we wouldn't have taken this course. Tara Schultz agreed, saying that Bartlett should have stood up the first day of class and warned us. Of course, Schultz and her parents did have complete information about the books, which would be covered in the class. The school requires instructors. Page 20 of their guide (laughs) to distribute a detailed syllabus on the first day of the term and ample time to withdraw with no effect on the grade. 14 other courses offered at Craftington Hills fulfilled the same degree requirement as English 250. The college's online calendar shows that the spring semester began on January 12th and the last date to drop a course with no grade penalty was January 30th. Schultz apparently bought up her objections to four out of ten of the books covered in the class after that date when her only options were to complete the assigned work or withdraw with a zero. That's where I think this stupid bullshit comes from. In an email to Redland's Daily Facts, Bartlett disagree, defended his graphic novel curriculum. I chose several highly acclaimed award-winning graphic novels in my English 250 course, not because they are purportedly racy, but because each speaks to the struggles of the human condition. As Faulkner states, the only thing worth writing about in the human heart is conflict with itself. The same may be said about reading literature. The characters in the chosen graphic novels are all struggling with issues of morality, self-discovery, heartbreak, etc. The course in question has also been supported by the faculty, administration, and approved by the board. Nevertheless, the newspaper reports that Schultz demonstrated against the books along with her parents and several friends outside the college administrator's building on Thursday. When asked what she hopes to accomplish, Schultz replied, At least get a warning on the books. At most, I want the books eradicated from the system. I don't want them taught anymore. I don't want anyone else to have to read this garbage. Yeah. Yeah, so she's too stupid to understand complex storylines and moral development in, in, in literature and, 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 and is getting all pissy about it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> pornography. God. Sandman. Pornography. I mean, she, really? she obviously doesn't even watch cartoons. Um, it's, yeah. it's, 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 it is listed everywhere as an adult um, book as well. I mean, yeah. you know, this is meant for adults. Mm-hmm. She's apparently not an adult. Uh, no, she's not. And the scary part is this is the mind of someone who will probably grow up to be a legislator who will help us against our own will because she knows better than we do. Yeah. She's obviously just, as Jeannie would put it, a dumbass. (laughs) (laughs) She she obviously couldn't understand the books because I've read them. And I'm sure you have you too as well, John. I have. Some of the best writing Mm -hmm. from the last 20 years. Yeah. just the, the Sandman. She, could, she couldn't get the. There's for people who haven't read Neil Gaiman, mm-hmm. <laughs> the Sandman books. There's a lot going on between the lines. Yeah. And she probably couldn't see between the lines. <laughs> well, everything. A lot of the stuff in Sandman is pretty much metaphorical. Yes, it's. No, it's I mean, it's classic mythology, mm-hmm. in a written in a modern way. Right. And there are some people whose brains don't get that. 
Uh, I think she's one of those people, but I noticed she waited until after she was going to get a zero to pull this crap. Yeah, that's what I mean. She was too stupid to understand the work. So, yeah, now she's going, she, oh, it's pornography. Yeah. Or she didn't try. She thought she was yeah. going to be reading the graphic no, novels a, of Batman and Robin. Okay. <laughs> and if she thought Batman and Robin was literature, yeah, she definitely needs some help. Um, well, she wants to be a teacher. Isn't that frightening? Don't, yeah. Do you want that kind of person teaching the next generation? I don't. It's, it kind of reminds me of a piece I read last week, and it was by a man who's a, a liberal professor at a college. And, you know, he he's a liberal. He's been a liberal all his life. There's nothing wrong with that. But he was just talking about, you know, just the way things have changed so much that if you get one complaint filed against you now, you can get sacked. Because of how people feel, and that wasn't always a justification for the way things were done, but it is now. If a legislator feels something, they can pass whatever law they'd like. It's ridiculous. And if a college student feels like you're teaching a class that is hurting something, uh, you're gone. And that's pretty ridiculous. But yeah, in in the case of this girl, yeah, all... All the other English students at that campus should point and laugh every time she goes anywhere. Because, <laughs> yeah, it's that level of stupid. It is. It's like you took an English course, but weren't any good at it, so you decided to blame the course. hmm <laughs> Yeah. Jeannie? What? What did you think about this? What, did I think that she's just a whiny bitch that needs to shut up? I mean, how how does she think that that it is fair for her to stuff her beliefs down everybody's throats, but she's not going to get the same? Um, She took the friggin' class. You're going to fail the class. Don't go thumping your Bible as an excuse for failing your fucking class. (laughs) I agree. It's just—it's sad, and this and I, is. And as a note to the listeners, if you haven't read the Sandman books, go do so. Fantastic they're really read. good. They're, they're good really books. Are. They're mm-hmm. excellent. They are. As I say, yeah. I mean Neil Gaiman's gone on to write some fantastic, real books. Although yeah. I class his work and others in graphic novels as, in some ways, more valid than <laughs> traditional literature. Yeah. I I think. In the case of the Sandman novels, I don't think they'd have been as successful as just a traditional novel. No. You know what I mean? The imagery although, is wonderful in them. Yeah. Right. Although you can kind of see, if you stand back and you look at his work, and I didn't mean to go into literature here, I'm sorry, where it kind of formed the backbone almost of American gods. Yes. You know? Uh, yes, all, all his early stuff led to better stuff later. It's... It really did. And American Gods is a great read. It yes. really is. Yes, the portrayal of the gods is wonderful in that book. Yeah, I haven't read anything for fun in a long time, but I make an exception for Neil Gaiman's writing because it's just fantastic. Really good, good stuff. And characters you can relate to, yeah. even when they're not human. Yes. Well, he <laughs> anthropomorphizes uh, non-humans quite well. Him and Teddy Pratchett are both excellent at it. 
I was so sad to see that uh, the last Discworld is the last Discworld. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just, good it's just not in a way. Anymore. So, yeah. But uh, there will be no more, so. At least we got, <laughs> the reason why I mentioned Pratchett, we got the one excellent crossover, Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett wrote, wrote Good Omens Bad Omens? Together. Good Omens? Good yeah, Omens. Fantastic book. Yeah. Not, Very funny. Not so much if you're a Bible thumper. But, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I know a lot of extremely religious people too who actually read both of those series and like them very much. It, it just well, depends on the kind of person written. you are. Yeah, we had people here try to get the Harry Potter books banned from our elementary school library. <sighs> I am not even fucking kidding. It's witchcraft. Yeah, yeah, I've seen those reports. <laughs> it's make believe, you stupid fucks. <laughs> yeah, you know, and anything that makes a kid want to read is a good thing. Well, I, I I love the retorts some people use against the religious nuts when it's like, well, well it's okay, so it's it's fine. It, it's not okay when we write something and it's make-believe, but it's okay when you believe there's some invisible guy telling you what to do. <laughs> lives in the sky. He loves you, but he created hell just in case you don't love him back. That's valid. Lucifer TV show coming soon. <gasps> Sorry, I had to well, get that you in know, there. He's an interesting character, and it's it's kind of interesting to see how different people have played him. Well, this is based on the Neil Gaiman version, so oh, we got hope should, for good things. <laughs> it should it's, be. it's the nightclub owning Lucifer. Oh, well, that should be good. So, yeah, speaking of people who own nightclubs... Or demons who own nightclubs, actually. Well, gee, I could I could go in 800 different directions with this. If you've ever seen Angel, there was the demon who owned that nightclub. Mm -hmm. But um, there's a, a series, if you go to YouTube and look for it, it's called Lucy, Daughter of the Devil. And it's, it's yeah. really kind of funny. It's the most interesting animation I've ever seen in my life. But the devil is just a total doofus. And, and he owns this club called uh, Tequila Sally's, if you can imagine the devil owning a like sort of country western themed it's very funny it's really I, funny I have seen it. well you're the only person i know besides me who's seen <laughs> that <laughs> i like these so, sort of strange things yeah me too so um i don't know i don't I, do we want to get into anything else tonight you guys looking at this I don't really want to talk about the CIA report. That's just way too heavy, way too long. No, I think I think we're 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 kind of okay finishing on idiot student trying to <laughs> stop, <laughs> trying well, to it's, it's, stop it's, her grades being affected. It's a yeah, because the CIA. If you want to sum up the whole CIA report thing, Jan, I mean, it basically comes down to the same thing. It, it comes down to the same stupid shit. It's like, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of does. Um, yeah. But that's... Yeah. You do realize when I started doing Auntie Nanny, my intention was just to do the stupid shit legislators do every week. And it morphed like, into this really heavy stuff that people really need to know that we somehow kind of try to make funny for you every week. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it's... It's not even really that bad. It's just it's gone from the sublime to the ridiculous, and and now you just kind of go, Ugh, please let us run out of money soon before these idiots come up with another good idea. 
It, it makes you understand what oive means. It does. <laughs> it really does. And I guess on that note, that's a good way to end it. We've laughed. We've talked about stupid stuff. We've talked about cartoons. We've talked about morons. People with room temperature IQs. It's been a good night. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for listening. And we'll see you next week. Ooh, advert. Advert. Why spend hours searching for in-stock ammunition when you can use AmmoSeek.com? AmmoSeek.com is a search engine for finding ammunition, reloading components, magazines, and guns for more than 300 calibers at more than 60 online retailers. AmmoSeek.com only shows items that are in stock and readily available for shipping. You can search by caliber, grains, manufacturer, and more. The results are displayed by cost per round, so you are able to get the very best pricing on your ammunition of choice. Find ammunition at the best prices, fast. Amoseek.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Good night.